chapter 6. We're moving along here, John chapter 6. Now, from John chapter 5 to John chapter 6, about a year has passed, about a year has gone by. And uh, so um, some of the events that are covered in the other Gospels uh, are not mentioned by John, but uh, almost a year has gone by here. So let's stand together as we read the first few verses of John chapter 6. I want to read, uh, let's see, from verse 1 down to verse 15, if you follow along. While I read John chapter 6, verse 1 to 15, title of my message today, There's Enough for Everybody. There's enough for everybody. I want you to know there's enough for you uh, here today, too. And so John chapter uh, 6 and verse 1 to 15. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there sat with his disciples. And a Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude come unto him, he saith unto Philip, What shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this said he to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. There was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet which should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of thy word today as we consider this great miracle that was done and what the significance of it was, this feeding of the 5,000 men and also the women, the children that were there gathered in that place in a grassy hill so long ago. We pray that, uh, Lord, you'd help us to see the significance of this passage of Scripture for us today and help us to know that uh, we can come and there's always enough and, and more. And so, Father, we ask a blessing on each one here. pray that you'd draw those to Christ that need to come to Jesus and be saved. We pray for Christians to uh, be um, encouraged in their walk with you and help us to take the examples that are given here in this passage and apply them in our lives. I ask a blessing on it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Bible's back to, uh, to the book of... Um, John in chapter 6. Let me get myself situated here as we uh, are going to take a look at this thought, enough for everybody. Enough for everybody. Chapter 6 finds us uh, back in the um, area of Galilee. It, it, it occurs, um, the time frame of it is about a year, as I said, about a year after um, the time of uh, the events in John chapter 5. And as we 
see the different accounts of this event, these two miracles here uh, that are mentioned here in John are uh, the only miracle, uh, the only miracle, this one actually is the only miracle that's, uh, that's mentioned in all four Gospels. And so this, this event uh, here mentioned all four Gospels. Um, as you see here in the book of John, it's called the, the Sea of Tiberias as well as the Sea of Galilee. This uh, was a, um, a nod to the Gentile audience that John was, uh, was writing to, was preaching to, and speaking to. And, uh, uh, of course, John, the book of John was the last of the Gospels written later than the others. And so the Sea of Tiberias was uh, a name that was given to the Sea of Galilee by Herod, who uh, dedicated a city there, Tiberias, to, uh, to the Roman uh, emperor. Herod certainly was, didn't make any points with the Jews by renaming the Sea of Galilee to call it the Sea of Tiberias, but that's what it came to be known as, is the city of Tiberias, a very modern city built uh, in Herod's um, era on the, um, on the shores, uh, very close to the shore there, right, right on the shore, uh, western shore of the Sea of Galilee, which uh, is the, why, why John makes this reference here, the Sea of Tiberias. When you get the opportunity to go to visit the Holy Land, one of the things that your tour will do is you'll go down uh, from Jerusalem to the, uh, you go up actually, I believe it is, uh, to, the, um, to the Sea of Galilee, and you'll go to the city of Tiberias, and you'll be checked into a hotel there that's right on the, right on the, uh, the shores there of the uh, Sea of Galilee, and you'll enjoy a beautiful scenery there. You'll be able to look across the sea over to the other side, and you can imagine then where, where Jesus and, uh, and the disciples were in the boat and where they went and uh, so on like that. You'll uh, be able to uh, envision that much better. Jesus w was with his disciples, and he took shipping. Um, they, uh, it doesn't tell us of it here, but what had occurred was the death of John the Baptist. There was a lot of... Uh, uh, there was a lot of negative uh, things going on, and uh, there was a lot of uh, threats and so forth uh, that were uh, occurring among the uh, the zealots, the Jewish zealots, and there there was uh, the sense that um, Jesus needed to take his disciples and get away. They had just come back from uh, being sent out. They had been sent out by Jesus two by two to uh, preach the gospel to the house of Israel only to. Uh, to uh, go on that preaching tour. They had come back. They wanted to talk to Jesus about what they'd seen, what had happened. And so um, the decision was made to uh, take shipping, go across, to get away from the crowds, the ones that were just looking for miracles and so on, get away from the crowds, get over to the other side, spend some quiet time with his disciples, some time discipling them, some time letting them uh, to give the accounts of what had happened uh, during their ministry, some of these things were what was uh, in the mind of our Savior as he, as he took them across to the other side. Now, when you go uh, on your tour, you're going to be taken up to Bethsaida, which is uh, the nearest city on the other side, near where Jesus would have landed and the disciples got out there. Bethsaida went up into the hills. It's quite steep up from the coastline there. And as you're looking up that way, uh, you, you're going to see what we now call the Golan Heights. They're going to take you up there too. You're going to overlook the area uh, of Syria. You're going to look into the Syrian countryside there when you get up to the Golan Heights. But that Golan Heights was the background to what Jesus uh, was, uh, where Jesus was in this account that we just read. It was a, 
it was back behind him, up the hill further, up the ways further. And so uh, he was in what they called there the, the mountains. They would be to us just foothills or high, higher hills, maybe steeper hills. And so they were up in there. But the Golan Heights gets up pretty high. It, uh, you know, it's legitimately a, a mountainous area there as you're heading up there. And so the season of the year was the springtime. It was the Passover season. It was a year from the previous Passover we had read about in uh, chapter 5, chapter 4 and 5. And so uh, a year had gone by, a lot of things had happened. The Galilean ministry was, um, you know, had, had been happening and a lot of things had occurred. People had seen many of the miracles of Jesus. And so um, here is springtime. The grass is soft and green on the sides of the hill this time of year. It's a good time to go if you're able to. Uh, this time of the year because you see it, it's like our Southern California climate, very similar. And so just like our Southern California climate, we enjoy the grasses on the hillsides in the spring. That's the same as it is there in the promised land. So, uh, uh, so the Lord, you know, copied the climate of the promised land for Southern California. So we just need to get it back from the Hollywood crowd and all the techies, you know, and give it back to the people. So... Uh, we want it back, uh, you know. They're trying to make us move. They're trying to make us leave, but uh, we'd rather they leave. And, and uh, so uh, let's, uh, uh, let's thank the Lord for the beauty of the, of the uh, area of the world that we live in and thank the Lord for the reminder that is there for us of what it's like there in, in, the, uh, in the Holy Land, what's called the, in the Bible the Promised Land. Uh, but Jesus, uh, it doesn't say it here, but one of the things Jesus did when the multitudes came, they came you know, relatively early in the morning. They learned he was there. The multitudes came. He lifted up his eyes and he saw this great crowd of people. And um, he saw them coming there. And one of the things that he, he did was to, um, was to uh, preach this, the, the gospel to them and to teach them the word. They, all day they had a, they had a day-long uh, preaching and teaching session with the Lord Jesus. His intent was to get some rest. His intent was to uh, work with his 12 disciples to hear their accounts, to give them a little break. But uh, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And so they were there. They were not uh, prepared, uh, not too many of them. There was a young lad there that had the good sense to say, Mom, I better pack a lunch. This might be a long day. So one good lad had that. I Here's that was all it was, you know, was this one, one kid that brought, had enough sense to buy a lunch. 5,000 men there and not one of them brought anything. Well, that's pretty typical of men. I mean, that's pretty typical of men. They're just going to go and, you know, uh, honey, did you bring anything to eat? Uh, and she says, uh, well, I thought you had that covered, you know. So, uh, so there's one lad, he's, maybe mom sent him alone, but he's got his sack lunch there. And uh, nobody else seems to have anything with him at all. It's been a long day, and they haven't wanted to leave because the, uh, this man spake like, like uh, no other man spake, you know. And as they listened to the Lord Jesus, they were captivated by his message. They were captivated by the power of his uh, words. They were captivated by the message. How different this was from the scribes and the Pharisees who spoke with such uh, bitterness and spoke with such self-serving intent. How different this was, this one who, whose words were filled with grace and filled with uh, uh, compassion for people. How unique this was. They didn't want to leave. They didn't want to uh, go. They passed through the lunch hour and into the afternoon. Now it was moving on toward twilight. And I still didn't want to grow, uh, want to go there. So, so that was the, uh, the impetus. So let's look at this curious crowd, first of all, for a moment. Consider them. 
they, they, it says there, and it tells us why they came, because they'd seen the miracles that Jesus had done in healing. And they wondered that day who would be healed. We know from other accounts that there were many in that crowd that were healed that day. And so who would be healed? They wondered, would he maybe raise someone from the dead this day? Uh, they wondered, will he be the one that leads us out of the bondage that we have borne under the Roman uh, uh, imperial government? Will this be the one that leads us out and gives us the kingdom back? That certainly was uh, in their minds of this curious crowd. They didn't really expect what they got. They didn't expect the preaching and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ that day. They didn't expect that he would uh, open the word of God and give them uh, the truths of God's word that day. They weren't anticipating that, but that really was what they needed, a lot more than the miracles of healing or the miracles of the feeding, and those things. What they needed was the food that would, uh, that, would, uh, be, um, that would guide them into everlasting life. And that's what you and I need as well. So it began with that curious crowd. And then there were the distressed disciples. We can relate to them. Uh, one of the Gospels finds them doing this. The crowd is there and they're uh, having some angst about what was happening. People are beginning to express that they're hungry and uh, is, there, is there any food? Is there anything to eat? Maybe some did anticipate that this would be a miracle that Jesus would do, but the disciples certainly weren't among those that were expecting that. And they didn't expect that. Uh, and so they were distressed about it. They, were, they, they came to Jesus and they said, Look, Lord, uh, this crowd is hungry. They're uh, stirring. It's getting on toward evening. It's twilight now. It's going to be dark before too long. We just need to send them away. We just need to send them away. We can't deal with this. Uh, it's it's going to be problems. It's going to be issues. Night's going to fall. What could happen? We're out here in the, in the mountains at the foothills there. We're a long way from, from the city. Uh, what's going to happen? It gets dark out here. And we got 15,000 people uh, rambling around in the dark trying to get home. And so they're, they're saying, let's just, while there's still an opportunity, while it's still light, let's send them away. And that's typical of a of a you know of an individual that isn't isn't looking at uh, the circumstances right. How often do we get that same way? Lord, uh, it's just too much. Just send the world away and let me go about my way. One of the uh, gospels uh, gives us that and shows us the reaction. And and uh, the disciples say, "Let them go to the villages. Let them buy bread that they may have to eat." Uh, let them get home before dark. And so there they were. Uh, Jesus says to Philip, he says, um, you know, how are we going to feed this crowd? He, he did it, the Bible says, to try him. And I want us to realize that uh, the Lord allows things in our life to try us, to prove us, to see where we stand, see, to, to let us really see ourselves. Because Jesus, the Bible says Jesus knew what he would do. Jesus knew what Philip would do, and Jesus knew what he would do as well. So... So he's not uh, doing that to, to figure out what Philip might do. He already knows, you know. He already knows what you're going to do and what I'm going to do. He has that foreknowledge. Uh, he lives outside of the bounds of time. He doesn't have to, you know, wait and see what happens in your life. He already knows the end from the beginning. There's one who already knows everything you're going to say, every act you're going to uh, act, every thought you're going to have. He knows when you're going to die. He knows it all because he lives outside of the boundaries of time. 
course, that's past our comprehension. We don't understand that. We live in a time-space continuum, you know, and so uh, we don't understand how that there can be, uh, you know, something that is outside of the boundaries of time where there's an eternal present. We don't get that. You know, you'll never comprehend it because it's, it's not, there's no place for us to start in order to get to that place because we don't have that capability in our limited mind. Uh, and so, um, so he's, he knows all that. So he knew what Philip would do. So his proving of Philip wasn't, didn't have to do with, I wonder what he's going to do, I'm going to see. It wasn't that at all. It was for Philip's sake. It was for the disciples' sake. And it is for your sake and my sake when the Lord brings something in our life that gives us the opportunity either to express faith and step out by faith or to uh, run back to the, to the known ground like these disciples were, running back to the known ground and experiencing life only in the present without the inference and, and the influence of the eternal. So that's where they were. What are we going to do? And uh, Philip's saying, Good night, Lord. I haven't got but, but two pence in my you know, pocket of my, uh, my uh, uh, robe here. And, and uh, it's going to take uh, 200 penny worth of bread to feed this crowd even a little bit, even give them a little something. If a penny is, is you know, when, you, when the, uh, when the uh, a, a parable uh, uh, of, the, uh, of the workers uh, was, uh, was given, they, they agreed to work for a day for a penny. So if a penny was a decent day's wages, then 200 penny worth of bread would be, you know, two-thirds of a year of wages. And to feed 15,000, 20,000 people, it might take, a, you know, a sum along those lines. Anyway, it was a lot more money than anybody had. And so, as a disciple, he's looking at the finances. He's looking at, uh, you know, what do we got? How can we do this? So, um, you know, when a trial comes along, when a, uh, when a trying of our faith comes along, sometimes the first, uh, the first uh, reflex we have is, you know, how am I going to get the money to take care of that? What am I going to do? Let me check my bank account. Let's see, can I... Can I uh, get a loan, how much can I get a loan for? And we're looking at uh, the finances, you know, like he did, 200 penny worth, that's what it'd take, but I don't have it, you know. And then Andrew, uh, you know, he says, well, the resources we've got, I checked those, I went and checked our stores, our supplies, I did a little survey, I found one guy that has a sack lunch. So uh, we're going to have to divide the pieces awful small, these were sardine-sized fish, you know. And barley cakes are about this big around. If, when you go to Israel, you're going to be eating barley cakes, uh, not because they're great to eat, but because they're uh, you know you want to experience the the uh, you want to experience the the whole experience while you're there. And the barley cakes were generally the food of the poor. You know, the folks that uh, didn't have a lot were the ones that ate the barley cakes. So they're going to be a little flat, pancakey looking, uh, you know, cracker kind of a thing. And uh, five of them will fill a kid up, and I'm a couple of sardines in between there, and uh, might have been a decent lunch for him, but uh, sure wasn't going to go far with 20,000 people. So the disciples are distressed at this. They don't have the money. They don't have the resources. There's no food here. None of the, nothing's adding up here, Lord. How are we going to feed them? And here, here standing before them, here they're talking to the Son of God. <laughs> they're in the presence of the Son of God, who they have seen do miracle after miracle, who they are aware is all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. They're aware of the capabilities of their Savior. He is their Savior, by the way. They know that. They know, they've confessed that He is the Son of God and that He has all power. They're standing before Him, and they're just saying, well, we don't know what we're going to do, <laughs> you know. And that's like us. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't, I can't work it out. I just don't know how this is going to go. Oh, 
Lord, help me. I, I just don't know what we're going to do. And the Lord's just uh, standing uh, before us, and, and his, maybe his arms are crossed, and maybe saying, thinking, look who you're talking to, <laughs> you know. Look who you're talking to. I'm your Savior. I'm your Lord. I have all the answers and all the resources and all the money. I don't have any problem with it. Why don't you just trust me with it? Why didn't one of the disciples say, Lord, we, don't know, we can't do anything, but we know you can, so we're going to, you know, we're going to rest confident that you'll, you'll do it, you know. We, we're going to rest confident. We don't know what you're going to do. You might, you, you might teach this crowd about fasting. <laughs> you, you might teach this crowd about trust, you know. We don't know what you're going to do, Lord. You, you might do that, or you might, you know, put a full spread on and, uh, and all the trimmings and all the dishes and everything. You might, you might bring it all to pass. We don't know what you're going to do, but we know that it'll be right. So that's, where the, that's the position we as disciples need to get to. Not, not distressed disciples, but just saying, Lord, we're not, no, we're not knowing what you're going to do, and we don't have to know, but we do know that you've got it well in hand, and that it's not up to us. Aren't you glad it's not up to us? And so uh, Jesus knew what he would do. The Lord is working on his disciples to get them to look away from the resources and the bank accounts and the what-ifs and just to look to him, you know, just to look to him. Uh, so um, uh, they, were, they were to do that. Now, we can do what we can, and we can trust him for what we can't. That's what he wants us to do. He, he's not telling us to just sit back and put it in cruise control and, and uh, you know, get in your lounge chair and wait till Jesus returns. <laughs> you know, that's not what he wants you to do. He wants you, to, he wants you and I to do what we know to do, do what he's called us to do, and leave him with that which we cannot do. I cannot feed the multitudes, you know. I can feed some, but I cannot feed the multitudes. We cannot heal the sick. We cannot bring about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We cannot reach the whole world with the gospel. Our congregation here, if all of us uh, immediately started and began to talk for two minutes to every person we ran into from now until we die, we would not even make a dent in, the, in reaching the world with the gospel. So we cannot do that. We cannot reach the world with the gospel in our generation ourselves. But we do serve the one who can do all those things. So that's where we're at. We serve the one who is able to do all of those things, and we ought to trust him. We ought to do what we can do and trust him to take care of the difference. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm talking about. The three Hebrew children got that. They, you know, had a command, and they said, we can't do that because this is what God's command is to do. We cannot bow to an idol. We're not going to. Uh, and, and we can do that. We can obey the Lord. We can't determine what's going to happen to us. We can't stop you from throwing us in the burning, fiery furnace, but we can trust the Lord for whatever He wants to do. If He wants to burn us up and take us home that way, we're okay with that. If He wants to save us and stop you in some fashion, we're okay with that. But whatever, we want you to know one thing. We're not going to bow down to that idol that you've set up there, you pagan. You know? And uh, Oh, man, that made him mad. It made him mad, mad, mad. He said, burn the thing. Heat the thing seven times hotter. I'm going to burn these boys. They're not even going to hit the floor of the furnace before they're dead. You know? So, uh, so they, these guys got it. They understood something the disciples had forgotten. They understood that it was all up to the Lord and it was not in their hands. So those things that are out of our hands, let's leave them in His hands. Daniel got that when they said, if you, if you pray and, and, and uh, keep praying to your God and don't pray to the idol as it's set up, I'm going to, I'm going to have to have you um, put into the, uh, the lion's den. Daniel said, well, that may be so, but uh, I know that God 
commands me to be faithful in prayer. And so I'm going to pray in the morning, and I'm going to pray at noon, and I'm going to pray in the evening. And, and I tell you what, I'm going to leave my window open like I always have. Uh, it just, uh, you know, it's just something about that. I just like to think of where I came from, and, and uh, I like to have my window open toward the direction I, my homeland is and where I grew up and, and, and that and where I was a little guy. And I want to keep my window open. I'm going to do anything different. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try to... I'm not going to try to flaunt it, but I'm not going to try to hide it either. And so he did, and uh, they did too. They did what they promised through him in the uh, den of lions. But uh, he, he'd already told them before, if God chooses to let me die this way, I'll die this way. If God chooses to spare me, he's certainly capable of doing that too. And he did. So it is with you and I. I want to read you a more recent account. Uh, this uh, came to me from uh, one of our missionaries in uh, Japan. Uh, said a few weeks ago on Friday evening, one of our Peruvian ladies was cleaning the church. This is in Japan, cleaning the church, and she heard someone beating on the door. She answered the door to find a 70-year-old Japanese woman wanting to speak with someone about God. The cleaning lady, her name is Karen, does not speak Japanese well enough to hold a conversation. She gave the woman a Japanese track and told her to return on Sunday. The woman would not leave. She insisted she needed to speak to someone about God. Karen told her again that she couldn't speak Japanese well enough to help her. Finally, the woman looked at Karen and asked in Spanish, Do you speak Spanish? <laughs> A Japanese lady. <laughs> so, and uh, Spanish is Karen's first language. So uh, who would have ever guessed, he said, the missionary said, Who would have ever guessed this Japanese woman could speak Spanish? But to make a long story short, Tonda and I arrived at the church while Karen was in the middle of uh, giving the, the uh, plan of salvation to uh, this Japanese lady. And uh, she asked Tonda to help her a little. And a few minutes later, Harumi, the Japanese lady, was gloriously saved. Karen led her first soul to the Lord that night. Harumi's friend in Florida had been witnessing to Harumi for a very long time. Harumi had decided she was done with Buddhism uh, but uh, did not know what to do next. Her friend went online and found five churches in the area that were independent Baptist churches and told Harumi to go to one of them and to try to get help. So what were the chances of Harumi choosing our church and of her choosing to come at the exact time that a Spanish-speaking lady would be there? I love how God works in every little detail. The story does not end there, though. The next Sunday, Harumi brought her 98-year-old mother to church, and two weeks later, her mother trusted Christ as her Savior as well. They're both following Lord Believer's baptism. So quite an account, a miracle uh, of uh, how God works things out. I'm saying we do all we can do, and then God does the miraculous part. Thank God for that. Uh, there's something for everybody. And then we, in addition to the, the curious crowd and the distressed disciples, I want you to look at our all-sufficient Savior. Our all-sufficient Savior. He's got a compassion for people. In another of the four accounts that that uh, relate this story that we just read. Another one of the, of the accounts, he, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And he said he's having compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd. And he sees them as faint and fainting along the way. He has a compassion for them. And we know our Lord's uh, command to love not the things of the world, and so we agree with that. But he certainly doesn't tell us to love not the world, does he? To love not the things of the world, but he doesn't ever tell us to love not the people of the world. So we are to be lovers of the people of the world as Jesus loved them and gave himself for them. We're to do the same. Jesus told us that the world and those in the world, many of those in the world would hate us. 
but he never taught us to hate them back. In fact, he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44, he said, You've heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Do good to them that persecute you and despitefully use you. Uh, so he tells us that uh, even though he doesn't want us to love the things of the world and fall in love with the things of the world and get tripped up by the things of the world, he does want us to love the world, the people of the world. So uh, following this example in the scripture, there's a lot of things that we can do. I've been talking about, okay, what God can do, and we know that God can do all, but what, what can we do? What can we do in, in our circumstance? Well, we can be like Andrew who brought a lad to Jesus. We can bring people to Jesus. <laughs> we can do that. In fact, Andrew, as I mentioned before, every time we read of him in the Bible, he's doing something about bringing somebody to Jesus. And so we can do that. We can follow his example. We can be like the disciples because Jesus told them, he said, now I want you to go and get the people to sit down, to sit down on the grass. And so we can get people to stop running around in circles long enough to sit down and hear what Jesus has to say, you know. We can do that. That's part of the work of a soul winner is just getting people to sit down, to sit still long enough to look to Jesus, you know, to quit chasing our tails, quit running around in circles, to quit looking for the answers in all the wrong places, you know, because the answer's not, not down there in the, you know, in the marijuana dispensary, and the answer's not down there in the bar room, and answer's not over there in the Pachanga Casino, and the answer's not over in Las Vegas, and the answer's not where, where all the pleasures and the lights of this world are. The, we got to get people to stop running around in circles long enough to sit down and consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So they did that. They did that. We can, we can do that as well. We can work at, at uh, doing that. And uh, uh, we can be, you know, we can be like that uh, lad that was there who gave what he had for the Lord to use. We can be like that little fella. He gave us a good example. Uh, you know, they didn't grab his lunch from him. He was willing to give it. He was willing to give his lunch uh, uh, up. And uh, we can do that as well. Jesus does remarkable things with the little things we give him. It's a little thing, five barley loaves and two little fishes. You know, it's a little thing. It's a sack lunch. But Jesus did some remarkable things with that sack lunch, didn't he? And he can make much of the little gifts that we give him. He always multiplies what we give him. That's a lesson that the lad told, taught us. The, uh, the uh, young boy that was there taught us God always multiplies whatever we give to him. Whatever we put in his hand, he's going to multiply. And we always end up with more than we started with. I don't know if the kid got those 12 baskets, and I don't even know whose the baskets were. I'm thinking maybe 12 disciples, they had 12 baskets. I don't know why they brought baskets with no food in them, but uh, <laughs> you know, they, they brought them. So, uh, so uh, they had 12 empty baskets, but like a typical Baptist, you know, they, they, were, uh, you know, they were going out unprepared. So... Uh, but 12 baskets full, you know, was what we gathered up afterwards. I don't know, maybe the lad was, was gifted with uh, one or maybe all those baskets to take home to mom. What she must have thought, what have you done? Where have you been? Where did you get that? You know, so, so uh, yeah, that was quite a, quite a thing we learned from the, from the lad. Uh, he, he had all he could eat. The Bible says that everybody there had all they could eat and more. So this lad he would have kind of gotten, you know, halfway filled up on five little crackers and uh, two little sardines, but he had all he uh, could eat. I, I would like to taste what those barley loaves that were broken from the hand of the Lord tasted like, <laughs> you know. Food from heaven, manna from heaven, you know. I would like to taste the fish. Probably didn't have any bones in it. That fish didn't have any bones in it. 
that Jesus broke uh, and gave to those that uh, he provided it for. And so this lad had all he could eat and more, as did everybody else. It reminds us of Psalm 37, verse 5, which says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So it is. We can do what the disciples did too. We can take the bread that, that Jesus provided and give it to those who need it. That's part of our work. We've received the bread of life. We ought not to keep it to ourselves. We need to make sure that others uh, have the opportunity to receive the bread of life, the, the Lord Jesus Christ as well. A little further down in the chapter, we read in verse 33 the, these words, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Well, that crowd was going to go away that night, but the next morning going to be hungry again. But not with this bread, the bread of life. Never hunger, never thirst. You as a child of God have been given the bread of life. Somebody gave it to you. Somebody broke the bread and gave it to you. And you, uh, you partook of the bread of life. You, you received Christ. You took him to your own. He became your Savior. And now you have uh, that uh, life that is eternal because he is life. And to take him is to take life, to take in life. And so you have eternal life. You have right now everlasting life. Now you need to take of that which God has blessed you with and give it to others. Uh, let others have the opportunity as well. So um, we can do that. And uh, we can know that as we go with the bread of life, Jesus goes with us. He told us in uh, his uh, commands concerning his churches, he said, he said, go and lo, I'm with you always. Go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so we have that promise that he's there with us as we go. Let's, let's go. But then we can be like Jesus, who in verse 11 uh, points the way. He says, he looked to heaven and blessed the uh, provision and broke the bread. We can be thankful for what God has provided for us. You and I have that thankful spirit like we ought to have. Let's follow the example of our Savior. When you go to lunch today, let's bow your head and, and thank the Lord for what He's provided for you. Tonight at supper time, uh, bow your head and thank the Lord for what He's provided for you. And, and uh, when you have the opportunity to just thank God. Uh, it's a good reminder for us. Uh, as I mentioned, we have some, somebody gave us some coasters. Maybe Wendy got them. I don't remember where we got them. Uh, you know, that's not what men do. They just, they just look at the stuff and know it's, it got there somehow. And uh, one of these coasters got there somehow, and it says th uh, thankful. You know, it just says the word thankful on it. And every time I see it, I, I think I need to thank the Lord for something. And so it isn't hard to think of things to thank the Lord for, is it? So um, we, we ought to take that example of our Savior as well. So uh, I, I just want to, you know, draw the, draw the thing up with this simple thought. There's enough in every case. There's enough for everybody and more. Verse 11 says they got as much as they would as much as they wanted, as much as they desired, they got, they got as much as they would. Now, uh, that sounds like a buffet, you know. Go through as many times as you want. I found it's difficult to go through after the second time, but I've seen some of us have met the challenge and go three or four times. So some of these teens among us used to see these guys eat at camp. I've been to camp with them, and, you know, it's unbelievable what they can put away uh, and, and go back for more. So, but uh, with Jesus there serving it out to you, you could have all you wanted and you could come back until you just couldn't eat it anymore. And that's what they did, as much as they would. And then in verse 13 it says, They gathered up the fragments that remain over and above. 
I'm glad it's the way the Lord does things. He's just over the top on it. I mean, it's over and above. So uh, it's always better than you can imagine. It's always more than you can imagine, just over and above. And he says something uh, very, very uh, important for us. Very few simple words, but in verse 13, he says, uh, he says that nothing be lost. Jesus is not uh, one who's uh, okay with just wastefulness and, and wantonness. He, he says that nothing be lost. Uh, he's feeding the 5,000, you know, and we look at that. To him, the feeding of the 5,000 was not too much, but the gathering up of a few fragments was not too little. I mean, that's a principle that we ought to think about as well. Uh, and uh, concern ourselves with as well. The, the idea of despising and neglecting little things is not something that's taught in the scriptures, you know. Um, the, 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 the waste of the little things turns out to be waste in greater things as well. And uh, so, uh, Proverbs 18 and verse 9 has it this way, He that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. And we don't want to be known as great wasters, wasting opportunities, wasting the... Uh, the uh, time we have, wasting the resources we have. Let's, let's be faithful in what God has given us and let's pick up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. And let's think of the opportunities. We, we don't want uh, there to be opportunities that we let pass that someone's lost as a result of our uh, neglect. We don't want that to happen either. All of us have had it happen and all of us regret times we've had uh, opportunity to be faithful and we've missed it. You know, We all have those regrets, certainly. But uh, God help us to to take the opportunities we're given and to use them to, to, uh, to be a blessing to him and to others. See, that's what I'm talking about. So Jesus, our Lord, is with us. He's aware of us. He's aware of what we'll do. He, like he was with Philip, knows what's in us. He knows what's in you right now. He knows what your need is. He knows what your heart is. He knows what your longings are. He knows what your, you know, uh, what your uh, sins are. And he knows that uh, he loves you and wants you to uh, become his child and you're not already saved, you need to come and trust Him as your Savior today. And you need to take the bread of life. Uh, it's, just, it's just simple. A little child can do it. It's so profound, the most brilliant minds of our age can't understand it. And so uh, come and trust Jesus as your Savior. Put your faith in Him. Uh, we'll show you out of the Bible. If you come at the invitation, we'll take a Bible. Someone will show you out of the Scriptures how to call on Christ and how to know that you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. Uh, and uh, if it's a man comes or a boy, uh, we'll have a man show you out of the Bible. If it's a lady comes, well, the lady take a few moments just right out of the Scriptures, right out of the Bible, and show you what the Scripture says about uh, trusting Christ, about being saved, being born again. And you can, you can know from today forward that you're a child of God, that you've partaken of the bread of life, and that you have everlasting life. Yeah, that's a good thing. You know, no, there's, no other, there's no other requirement but uh, a willingness to turn from sin, you have that willingness? Are you, are you going to go on in sin, just keep on doing the same dumb things we've been doing so long and getting the same bad results we've been getting so long? Why not just be willing to say, Lord, uh, if you'll help me, if you'll turn me, I'm willing to let you uh, turn me. And that's repentance. That's repentance. And then to trust Christ is simple. It's as simple as uh, uh, calling on the name of the Lord, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that, he's, that he is what he says he is in the Bible. You know, if you believe that, and, we'll, and then uh, we'll receive Him as your Savior. You receive Him by simply calling on Him. Call upon, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's not difficult. It's not hard because He does it all. He does all the hard part. So He's just waiting for you to be willing. He's not going to drag you into the kingdom. He's not going to knock you over the head. 
and you know you wake up in heaven. No, he's going to let you. He's going to let you decide. The choice is yours. You you, you got the you know you got the tree of life, or the the way of death. So uh, it's your choice. It's my choice. So let's let's uh, take that choice. Let's take that. Understand that he is enough, and he's enough for everybody. Let's stand together. Give an invitation. If you need to uh, come today, you might be like that uh, uh, little Japanese lady who had finally come to the place where she realized all of her religion and all of her upbringing and all of her background and all of her ancestors and everything else was not going to get, uh, get her to peace with God. And so she came to Christ and in a moment's time was saved with someone showing out of the Bible how to call on Christ. And 98-year-old mom coming to Christ, being saved. What a wonderful thing. 78 uh, young men and women in the Marines this morning called on Christ to be saved. And so you can too. Let's, uh, let's not wait a moment longer. Uh, we're going to give an invitation, and if you haven't been born again, you come and you uh, let us show you out of the Bible how to call on Christ. If you're a Christian and you've been born again already, but uh, the Lord has convicted your heart about some things or just uh, spoken to your heart and you just want to uh, renew some uh, commitments to Him, you come as well. Maybe you're here and you're saved and you, you uh, haven't been biblically baptized and you understand that's an important thing to be obedient to the Lord. Would you come and say, Preacher, I want to be baptized next time we, we uh, baptize, which would be uh, next Sunday. So um, you come and surrender for believer's baptism. And this, that's just obedience. It's just obedience, you know. And so do that. Then if you're here and you've, you've been saved, you've been biblically baptized, but you, you're not plugged into a local church, everybody needs a church home and everybody needs to be part of a church family. So let me encourage you to take that step and, and, uh, and come out and, and uh, join with us, be part of a, a body of believers that's trying to serve the Lord together. Father, we ask your blessing on the invitation time. We pray that as we uh, think about our heart uh, being right with you, that you'd convict us if we... Uh, need uh, here those that need to come and trust you as their savior i pray that they would step out and make that step of faith and lord that you would from their first step on that you would step with them and go with them and and uh give them the assurance that uh, you're you love them and you care for their soul so father i pray for those and i pray for us christians uh, all of us have things that uh, the spirit of god could help us do better at and so i pray that you'd convict and convince us. Pray for those that need a church home. If this is where they're supposed to be, make it clear to them. I pray for folks that uh, need to be obedient to you in baptism if they haven't done that yet, that they'd take that first step of growing in Christ and uh, be baptized. So, Lord, we pray your blessing on this invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen. 560 is what we're going to sing. And put your hymn book down and just step out and come as others are coming. Uh, you do that as well as we sing that first verse, will you? Have thine affections been nailed to the cross?